Hello, this is Neighbites, a mini episode of Neighbours, the Neighbours Recap Podcast. And we usually watch five episodes of the Aussie Soap and then break them down. And this little edition is usually about one particular episode or one particular event. In this case, it's just going to be one scene. One scene that broke the internet. Bloody D. I can't even cope with how much I've had to talk about D this year. So I'm Vaya Pashas, and for this edition of Neighbites, I welcome a TV writer and script producer, long-serving member of the Australian entertainment industry, Dan Bennett. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hey, Vaya. I met you while working on Winners and Losers, which you were running. Yes, many years ago now. And that's finished now? It has, yeah. It wrapped after five seasons, so it was a bit sad, but... It was fun while it lasted. I think it was a good little show. It might seem short to a lot of people, but five seasons is quite a long time in the Aussie drama world. Yeah, there were nearly, there were, I think there were 102 episodes all up, something like that. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty decent run for an Aussie drama these days. Now, we probably should mention straight away that you have a very strong connection to the soap over the road, home and away. I do, <laughs> over in Summer Bay, yes. How long were you in Summer Bay? I've been on and off in Summer Bay for 17 years. 17 years? Yeah, which makes me seem extremely old, which I probably am. Um, (laughs) So you started on there when you were eight. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wish. No, I did. I started in 2000 when I was 20, and I was there through uh, 2006. And then I took a short break off to Channel 10, where I actually did work on Neighbours for 12 months. Oh, did you? Yes, I was the network <gasps> executive at Channel 10. So I was down in lovely Nunawadding, the place that, you know, we all have come to know and love where they shoot yeah. where they shoot neighbours um, a couple of days a week. So I was flying backwards and forwards for 12 months. From, because you're based in Sydney, Based usually. in Sydney, yeah. So, But Neighbours was sort of one of my big projects. So it was backwards and forwards a lot with that. And so did you say script executive? Drama executive. So I was in conjunction with Sue Masters, who was head of drama. I was looking after all of the Channel 10 drama slate. And so do you give notes on those productions? Uh, yes, um, and particularly on Neighbours. Um, and I was in the edit suite for the edits, you know, once the show had been shot and, you know, across Neighbours as Channel 10's rep, basically. What era was that? It was 2007 on air. We did a sort of a bit of a mini relaunch. It was when the show was shifting from standard definition to HD and we were sort of looking as from a network point of view. The show had started to struggle a little bit in the ratings. In hindsight, it actually turned out to be sort of one of the last eras of Neighbours actually on Channel 10 itself before it moved to the digital channel. So we did sort of a a bit of a mini relaunch. What were the stories? Or Or who were the characters? So the 30-something house had just sort of arrived when I came in. So that was Rosie and Pepper. And and now I've forgotten Ben Lawson's character's name. He's going to kill me. Fraser. Fraser, yes, Fraser. (laughs) Um, And uh, Christian Clark's character who didn't last terribly long and he was replaced with (laughs) David Hoffman's character. Um, Oh, yeah. So there was a lot of stuff there. Natalie Blair was still on the show and Pippa Black, Dan O'Connor. Eliza Taylor. Um, so a lot of people that have actually gone on to do some really, you know, pretty exciting stuff yeah. after their time on Neighbours. So it was, it was a really fun time. It was a great vibe down there at the time as well. Like people were really excited about embracing the new technology that was involved in switching to HD. And so there was, there was kind of a nice buzz down there. 
Was uh, everyone worried about how their skin would look up close in HD? That was the most asked question, yeah, <laughs> by, by everybody, every age group. <laughs> so, yes, people were very worried about that. And there was lots of discussions about how we'd – because there were many different types of HD that, you know, give different looks. So there was lots of discussions between – Fremantle Media and the network about, you know, which look we were going for and all of that sort of stuff. So it was a it was a really interesting time to be down there and be involved. And it also gives, you know, there was an injection, a huge injection actually of um, capital from Fremantle Media to obviously facilitate ah. the transition, but it's not cheap. All of the sets had to be, you know, touched up because with HD you pick up every single little thing Oh, uh, okay. Um, so the back lot, which was Lassiter's and all of that stuff, had to had to undergo lots of work. All of the sets had to be looked at, and it was a progressive change. You know, we certainly didn't nail it on the first night because there's you know lots of moving pieces. But yeah, with that huge injection of cash, there was lots of excitement about the freedom to tell slightly bigger stories. You know, Home and Away had been synonymous for their set pieces. You know, big storms or crashing planes or whatever, and neighbours had typically steered away from that kind of storytelling, um, but they had a little bit more freedom to sort of dip their toe in if they wished to because there was a little bit more money floating about at that time. And for me, that's how I like it. I don't like huge events all the time on Neighbours, but I don't mind the odd fire or the odd car crash or something, but when it gets to the point where you're like, maybe we'll chuck them out of a hot air balloon – that's when I start to go, do you really need this stunt, guys? Do you really need to release snakes onto the street today? <laughs> yeah, like I think obviously there are so many different markets that Neighbours needs to service. You know, there's the Australian market obviously through Channel 11, but Channel 5 and the UK market is so huge for them. So I think from what I can understand, you know, every quarter, you know, they try to do some big event i think i believe next week on air there's a big storm coming into erin's are you serious yeah so i feel like we just had a storm oh well i I saw a promo with um mishti getting hot and heavy with well not hot and heavy but having erst your favorite word i remember you teaching me earth um (laughs) yes i feel like i use that word every second day um with leo so yeah i think there's a storm coming that so i think you know every now and again that's important because it gives you a bit of a promotional hook yeah. to, to hang your hat on as long as the stories that come with it, you know, then back it up. So it's not just for the sake of the events, yeah. but the story is actually propelled as a result. I just hope Sonia's bought some tarps for those nursery plants because last time there was That's a storm, <laughs> she had a big mess. Now back to your home and away days, Dan, did you yeah. start at the bottom of the totem pole in kind of the creative world there? I did. Look, I had the luckiest, luckiest run to get in, to, to get where I am. Um, I was studying creative writing at Wollongong University, um, majoring in creative writing for television. And we had a really big mid-year gap as you do at universities. And I, I'm not the kind of person that loves to sit around and just not do much. So I wrote a letter to Home and Away and asked if I could come in and do some work experience. And I'd had some experience a few years previous where I'd been in touch as a really little chap, um, (laughs) thinking that I could just write a script and send it to them because I had no idea how it actually (laughs) worked. So I'd had some contact with them. So I had sort of a slight avenue to, to make contact with them. And they did invite me to come in for a week for work experience. 
Um, that almost think, never happens these days. Almost literally never. Yeah, like yeah. it's really impossible to nearly to get. And also because I guess a lot of our Aussie production budgets are shrinking. We don't have people that are just twiddling their thumbs with spare time to nurture a work experience student. And that's it. And that's the real shame of it because a lot of the people that have come up in, and I'll, guess, I'll get back to the how I got yeah. into a story in a sec, but a lot of the people that have come up sort of in my generation of writers and script producers and stuff did get their start because they were given that opportunity and because the way shows work now are so different. You're absolutely right. The There just isn't the time to nurture those new talents as much as you'd love to do and really we would love to do it because there are so many great people just sitting out there with wonderful ideas that, you know, it's, it just really is more harder now to to really nurture that that new batch of talent it's it's a huge shame a real shame and so getting back to the, so I was in for one week of work experience they asked me at the end of that week to come back for a second week because they were really behind on some synopses so just basically writing the prose version a one pager of what happened in each episode um, which goes into the archives and is referenced in the future. So we're really behind on that. So it'd be like Mishti and Aaron want to buy a gym together. They put an offer in. They think it's rejected, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's basically a paragraph on each of the stories in, in the episode that form up a page and then writing the thumbnails, which is kind of the the literal one-liner for each story, which is then sort of the the bit that you read in TV Week or your TV guides or whatever. So I went back for a second week and helped out writing those synopses um, and kind of went back to uni and didn't think really very much of it until a few months later when I got an email from the then script assistant um, and the script assistant was the entry-level position at the time, yep. um, asking if I was interested in joining the show as a script assistant. And so I jumped at it. I deferred my uni course and just kind of, yeah, jumped in and it really was the entry-level position and spent a couple of years doing that, learnt some editing skills, um, was given the opportunity to actually write an episode and sort of hone my craft writing for the show as well. And over the course of a few years, just kind of worked my way through the ranks as positions changed and whatever. Um, until I got the script producer role in June of 2004, wow. which was for the 2005 season. So I sort of came on board to plot the 2005 season premiere. And we've got a few Hermanoi fans that sneak in over here. Yes. What sort of events or big plot points were you across during that time period? My biggest stories coming into it were the Summer Bay Stalker story, Ooh. Um, which was sort of a long-term mystery arc. We really wanted to have something a bit noisy to, to get the lapsed viewers back, but at the same time we're really careful to make sure that we're telling other stories that would then hold on to that audience, that we're just kind of dabbling back to sort of see what was going on to then try to hold them for the long term. So the Summer Bay Stalker story was one of the biggest ones that did that. And who was the stalker? It turned out to be Zoe, who was the new bubbly nurse, sort of the least <laughs> person that everyone would expect. Was, when I say it was high camp, I'm not being, I'm not being funny. It was really high camp, but it worked great. Yeah. Like it really did get people talking. I remember driving to work one morning, and Kyle and Jackie O were having a debate about who the Summer Bay Stalker was, cool. and it was kind of this surreal sort of, yeah, moment. And it actually the reveal episode of 
who the stalker was turned out to be the highest rated episode um, in the show's history. So, oh well, that's the dream. That's so, the dream. Yeah, yeah, you know, and th- that was the show's seventeenth season. So, yeah, to pull those kind of figures in, you know, that long into a show's run, that was pretty fun. And so, I guess for people that don't know how a soap or soap opera story room runs, you start from say mm. plotting, storylining the episode arc. It does vary from show to show, but sort of the basic structure, I guess, remains the same. So, you you sit down at the beginning of the week and talk about what the stories for that week will be um, in sort of broad strokes and then you break them down into episodic stories in terms of where where they will fall within the week. There are lots of things to consider when doing that, like actors have different contracts. They're contracted for different number of episodes per week um, and to use them for more than their contract obviously costs additional money, so you have to be really careful about how you place stories within the week. And I guess that's probably why we run into situations on screen like, hey, why isn't Paige in this scene? She knows these people and well, exactly. yeah, she, yeah. she's been used up for the week or something. Exactly. And then you'll find these little lines slipped in saying, oh, she's babysitting so-and-so or she's yeah. got a doctor's appointment to try to cover up the why they, they're not there when they really should be there. And I love those explanations and I think that, how it works. that's how it should work you should go that's it's life we do have doctor's appointments and we do have to go to the shopping do shopping Absolutely. <laughs> yeah yeah so then those synopses are farmed out to the writers at that point that's right to freelance writers or in-house writers but yeah. a, a array of writers who we have a, a meeting with them just go through scene by scene what needs to happen in very broad strokes because you want the writer to be able to you know to take ownership of their episode and really develop it and and make it really stick for them. And then they go away and write a scene breakdown, which comes back into the in-house team to have a read of any story changes that need to happen, any set or location changes that need to happen. Because obviously with soaps, there are many restrictions about how many sets you can use per week, what will fit in the studio, um, how often you can be outside. And because both soaps, Home and Away and Neighbours, shoot crossover television and that means they're shooting in any single week they're shooting one week's worth of location and one week's worth of studio so there are two different crews working at the same time so you know you can't have an episode of neighbors for example with carl having 30 location scenes in one week which are then crossed against 50 studio scenes the next week because he literally can't be in two places at once so you've got to work out, wow. you know, if there's a really location-heavy story for an actor one week, then you need to make sure that what is being shot against that in studio is a bit lighter for them so that you can actually schedule the show and get it shot. Yeah, so he, if he's running around trying to find the ceramic pig outside in the street one week, yes. then next week he's probably just chill. He's got some hospital shifts to do, maybe. Yeah, or you try to keep them to one, one set or two sets so that they're not in every, you know, they're not popping the whole neighbourhood. Yeah. Because um, at some point they actually have to go outside and shoot the scenes for the other week. So, and I think it's important when I and real talk when I do have a whinge about the content, and I think when people online whinge about quote unquote the writers, how could the writers do this? Yeah. It's typically not the freelancers or the the episode writers that we're typically venting at because they're essentially handed the scene the the synopsis they t- and they turn in the material from there. 
it's usually when we're upset with a decision or I'm upset with decisions that happen right from the germination point in that room, in the, in the plotting room. Yes. Look, and absolutely. Like the, the freelance writers are absolutely, you know, they do to a certain extent have their hands tied. You know, they, they're given a storyline. They're told what they need to turn from a prose document into a dialogue document. Um, so, and of course, you know, a back and forth and a discussion is encouraged, but at some point the in-house team have to say, unfortunately, given all the restrictions we have to work with in order to get this show made, um, we just have to run with this and we're going to have to suck up the fact that we'd like it to be something slightly different, or we'd like to be able to chuck this character here or actually have this scene not randomly set, set at the bar instead of. Someone's house where they would actually have it. Yes. You know, someone's private conversation, they've got to have in a generic set because their home set couldn't fit in the studio that week. Or there's no boardroom, so we have to have our meeting at the pub. Correct, yes. I did see Therese having a meeting the other day or a couple (laughs) weeks ago in in the bar, and yes, that was a little... But then you, when you know all the restrictions that are in place, you kind of go, well, you know, either you have the scene or you don't have the scene. So is it worth having the scene? Yes, it is. So we've got to suck it up. And when you lay it all out like that, if you're thinking about these, there are six episodes being made a week, there are a certain amount of locations, certain amount of studio, you're dealing with the people in the office, you're dealing with people off-site writing the episodes, you're dealing with cast restrictions, you're dealing with new people coming in and people leaving and um, 30-plus years of backstory that you're trying to remember and weave in and it's – I, I never give it as much, as many accolades as I should in terms of how do you even get this TV show on the air, <laughs> but um, I hope that that's implied usually. Yeah, I, I don't know many people that would take offence to um, people calling out the fact that, you know, things aren't always ideal. You know, I think I think most writers and most people involved in the production of a show know that everything's not always going to be exactly as you'd want it to be and I don't think there's any problem with and also it's part of the charm like if one day they turned around and had a board meeting in a boardroom I'd, I'd be a little bit sad I'm like oh but but they have their board <laughs> meetings in the pub <laughs> and yeah, that's right. we've come exactly. to know that that happens and we know that oh they're gonna have a wedding in their backyard because it's that's we don't have a wedding venue or in Sonia's nursery. So, so I would be a little bit disappointed if one day some of those logistics problems were just resolved and if one day everything made perfect sense, I'd be like, well, this is boring. Yes. No soap can ever make perfect sense because then no. you'd stop suspending disbelief and it would stop being fun. Yes. But when I get on, jump on my soapbox is when there's absolutely nothing, um, there's no restrictions on certain, yes. um, certain dialogue choices or story choices that are not dependent on any kind of location or casting. For example, um, Xanthi, the guy that – you know, sexually assaulted Xanthi, got away scot-free because his mum had hit him and then the other one got a recording deal. It's when you go, hang on, there's probably a few more sentences that probably could have been chucked in here that would have made this a little more palatable. Absolutely. And I think that's when it's really important to, and writers do do this. I promise we, you know, we do watch and listen to all of the feedback. And I think it's really important to take that stuff on board because, Look, sometimes decisions are made intentionally for whatever reason, right or wrong, and other times because of the speed that things are working, you just don't even think about it in the context that the audience sees it when they're watching it cold. 
And it can be a really, it's a really interesting experience to watch feedback come through and go, do you know what? Yes, that makes perfect sense. That is correct. That's the right opinion. But we just didn't see it that way when we were in the middle of the kerfuffle of making it all. So I think it's really important to, to read all that feedback and take it on board. And that's why it's so great, that, you know, like Twitter for all of its faults and people can whinge about it till the cows come home has been a really useful tool. I think, well, certainly for me, I'll speak for myself, not for everyone, but for me to, to be able to jump on and see what are people saying in real time, you know, what, what is valid. Sometimes stuff isn't valid. People are just whinging about, you know, the top someone's wearing or whatever, yeah. who cares? But to actually listen to the feedback on a story direction or a story resolution and go, you know what, valid, let's take that on board and try not to repeat that next time and be more aware of it when we're actually, you know, in those initial stages, as you were saying, that where the restrictions don't exist so much um, of, you know, you can take this story down three different roads, which one are we taking it down? just to be a bit more conscious of that. So the feedback really does come in handy. And, and maybe next time someone will go, maybe this kid will be robbed of his recording contract because the record company will go, hang on a minute, you're a criminal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that brings me to D because now, well, Dan, you're always very interactive with your home and away or with the, the audience of the productions you've worked on. Yes. And you're also very vocal about neighbours. You, you jump in and have opinions. Yes, which has got me in lots of trouble over the years, but anyway. And pretty much I can rule myself out for ever getting a job on the show because that's what I, that used to be my goal. But I had to get to a point where I'm like, you know what, this is the th- what I do now and, <laughs> and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but you were across Dee's return earlier in the year. Yes. What did you think of them bringing back Madeline West to play an imposter? Okay, so can I first preface this because I did just, as I just mentioned, I have got in trouble over the years. <laughs> so I just want to preface this by saying, and with, you know, harking back to everything I was just saying about all the restrictions and whatnot, I have absolute respect for everyone who works on that show and does what they do. And, you know, I, I get it. Yeah. I absolutely get it. So the, having an opinion is not a slight on anyone God, in no. particular. And for me, the caveat as well is that. There is absolutely no way anyone in that room would have gone, how can we screw people over? Everyone in that room would have gone, how can we tell a really awesome story with what we've got here? Exactly. And look, I have been involved in so many stories over the years that require the suspension of disbelief. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot. Um, my thing has always been that it doesn't have to be probable. It just has to be possible. So the, the suspension of disbelief allows you to travel along with the fact that even in the most remote planet, you know, whatever, it can, it's possibly can happen. I felt like, my personal opinion felt like the D imposter story fell into the improbable category. Yep. I just didn't buy that there was somebody who looked exactly like D that could somehow come across her story and machinate the way she did and just slip right in oh i I think bringing madeline back was genius because it created so much buzz and 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 sensational stuff oh of course i just don't know that um i would have made the choice to go with imposter d having said that lots of people did cling on to it and, and what's what works really well in soaps is when you whether the story is right for you know any particular audience member or not if it gets people talking you're kind of doing your job. Yeah, and they had, they had brought people back that had, hadn't seen the show in 
decades, literally decades. Absolutely, yeah. The other thing is, like, love Madeline West. We've been wanting her back forever. And I can understand that she's been away. She could have come back any time. But she's made the decision, well, I'm at a point in my career where I've got a bit more skills under my belt and I want to show what I can do and why would I just come back as the same old person? It's a soap. Make me be something more interesting. Right. So I can, just reading between the lines, I can imagine that she would have had a bit of power in this situation because she's the golden goose. Like, of course we want her back. And she would have come to the table with some with a wish list, I'm pretty sure. From what I can gather, she had a huge wish list. <laughs> Directing and, and... Yeah. And why wouldn't you? Like, if I was in that position, I would too. <laughs> well, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I do that in, in my career in in tv production as well i you know when i'm negotiating new things i'm like well of course i'd love to come back to your production but i would like a little bit more responsibility next time or i would like better conditions next time you always try and get that little bit extra well you're silly not to i mean i went back to home and away after a several year gap and they wanted me to go back and i said sure like i was excited to go back and jump back into the bay but of course you make sure that you you look after yourself. If you want me back, then, you know, there are certain things that need to happen. I totally get that. And Madeline would be foolish not to do that. And I think I think the, the disappointing part for me and a lot of the viewers was that we had pitched so many possible exciting, you know, incarnations of this story. And obviously, you know, they're not going to take what we say, but we were just like, oh, that's what they decided? It was – Yeah. Even if she'd been someone who thought she was an imposter – but then they did the DNA test and, oh, it's really D. She had amnesia because I don't know. Yeah, I was waiting for the double twist to be yeah. honest. Once the first twist happened and I, you know, I'm sure you saw my tweet. I was like, surely they're not going to go this way. No. <laughs> so then once they did, I thought, oh, well, there's going to be a double twist down the road. And potentially that is what they are now angling towards with this, yeah. this scene this week. Also, because at the time of the Dean Poster storyline, they had the other improbable surrogacy plot woven in, which which is the Sonia donating her egg and womb to her friend, even though each partner was a bit nervous. So you had sort of improbable layered with improbable. I think that's a really good point. I think that's probably what jarred for me. Maybe the most of it was that the setup was already a bit tenuous because it seemed you know, being a surrogate for somebody is obviously a hugely generous, wonderful, yeah. self-sacrificing thing to do, but to do it for a couple who hadn't been together for all that long no. and seemed to be on relatively shaky ground, it was already hard to buy into that. So then to buy into a doppelganger who had all this information to sort of infiltrate the the gang just felt a little bit, yeah, it was a bit difficult to get on board with. Yeah. And so this week, fast forward to Monday the 14th of August 2017. Yes. After the imposter had been unearthed earlier in the year and her daughter had come back to make amends and we have this moment. So firstly, Sonia and Toadie have had couples counselling and they're trying to resolve how to move forward and, and Toadie says, Dee's dead, Andrea's long gone. Yes. It's just you and me. And then you cut to this scene on a park bench, I believe, which is in the Fitzroy Gardens. <laughs> And uh, a, well, Madeline West, special guest appearance, as the credits told us, yes. is sitting yes. on the bench in a ethereal white dress. Yes, very reminiscent of a wedding dress, would you, would you not say? 
Yes, and same with her hairstyle. It's got that kind of curl to it that she yep. had in on her wedding day. And also when Andrea came back, she was in a white shirt too. So I'm noticing all of the symbolism. And then there's a, I guess, a ginger lad on the park bench comes and sits down <laughs> yes. next to her and says, are you okay? You look miles away. And she says, just thinking about old times. Yes. And that's all we get. A fantastic hook. Like you've got to say brilliant hook and to keep it a secret in this day and age. Oh, for that to actually go to air as a shock for the audience, kudos to yeah everyone, publicity, ev- like everyone, because that is really next to impossible to pull off these days. Yeah, that was fun. And I I guarantee that the network would have been fighting to put that in promos and magazines and everything. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, maybe. But everyone else, people would have had to fight back and go, no, we are holding back on this one. Yeah. And because we already had a hint that she was coming back later because she'd be hanging around doing some directing and whatnot. But so everyone thought, is this it? Is this all we get? Is this a ghost? Is this a dream? We did everything that we did when she first came back. Yes, yes. And then obviously we have the credits of unknown person, Liam Murphy, as you pointed out, Dan, on Twitter with the double L in his name. Yes. Which is, I have no I have no prejudice against people that spell Liam with two L's. I just... <laughs> I just thought that that person was was actually in hindsight and I've thought more about it is probably more telling than I gave it credit for. How come? Well, I don't know if you've seen the Digital Spy um, article that came out a couple of days ago with an interview with Greg Barnett, who is the commissioner at Channel 5. Oh. And they were talking to him about the return of D, this sort of secret scene and then what it meant, and he was explaining that they had always intended to have a sequel to the Andrea story um, and that this was a nugget for the future, I think was his quote, for a story that's waiting to be told. Okay. But one of the questions that he asked, he sort of posed as a rhetorical question in the interview was, who was the man on the bench? So I, although I just thought that it was sort of 50-word unknown person, <laughs> random, potentially that the the reason he was credited as unknown person was might be more telling down the track than I initially gave it credit. Yeah. I was most infuriated by the fact that they credited Madeline as special guest appearance because the whole reason we worked ourselves up into a tiz when Dee first popped back is because she was credited as Dee Bliss. It was Madeline West as Dee Bliss. And then it went to Dee Bliss slash something and then... Well, first she was Dee. In that Im- immediate reveal, it said yeah. D Bliss, and we all rejoiced. And yeah. then as it unfolded, it was, oh, D Bliss slash Andrea Summers. And that's going, okay, you are, that's where you're screwing with us. That's unfair. You should have just put her as special appearance all along. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's probably a good point. Yeah. Because now they're saying, oh, unknown person. Oh, we can do things like this now. I'm like, no, you should have done it before because I trusted you. And now I feel hurt and <laughs> violated. So, but I, I'm a little bit exhausted. I know a lot of people online are saying, "Ugh, are we really going back there? And part of me wonders, is this a reaction to our disappointment the first time around or did they always have this grand plan to stretch it out this far? I think that's an interesting question. I can only speculate. Obviously, I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly if I was, I can put myself in the position of being them having received the reaction that they got the first time around. I probably would do something like this to try to backtrack a little and and maybe make it out that we'd always planned it from the beginning. I've done that before <laughs> on the other show. Awesome. Um, we always meant this. Sure we did. <laughs> and I was 
lying through my teeth. And that's fine. Like, I don't mind if people do that and go, oh, crap, we dropped the ball. And I have, because I have noticed neighbours every now and then, we've been outraged at their treatment of mental health. And ever since we've started raving about that, every now and then they drop references to mental health treatment and options and healthcare options out there. And I feel like that is a direct result of us, you know, doing a song and dance about it. Look, that's entirely probable. As I said before, like we writers really do listen and producers do listen. And it's that kind of stuff that, Sometimes you just because you're because you're you know on this sort of runaway train all the time. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to be smacked around the head a little, but <laughs> figuratively, hopefully, um, by your audience, just to go. That's right. You know, damn, we need to think about that more carefully moving forward to make sure we don't slip into those traps again. So yeah, that's entirely probable, I would say. Yeah. And because it, look, it is entertainment, and like the argument is, who cares? Just consume it and move on. But there's such a huge responsibility, particularly in this climate that we're all in, that every sentence and every portrayal of a minority or someone at a disadvantage is incredibly loaded and has a lot of, has a lot of power and, and especially, and the depiction of people in privilege as well. And I think that you can't get away with that. Even if you, even if you just quote unquote, a soap, it's not a, you know, a primetime drama, then everyone's got a responsibility. Otherwise, why are you making this? Why did, Why are you making any kind of media? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point. The, you know, Neighbours has a huge voice, as does Home and Away worldwide. And, you know, everyone is very cognizant of using that voice for, for the good, you know, to, to try to tell positive messages. We, we don't always get it right, but I think everyone is aware to try to do that. Um and that's why sometimes you just do need the reminder just to be, yeah, just to be a little bit more aware. Yeah, just try to be better. And it is exciting that it makes us have these conversations. And I'm having Twitter conversations about it with people that I would never encounter in my day-to-day life. And that's exciting. Absolutely, yeah. And a show, How Old's Neighbours now, 34? Yeah. Yeah. It's, Neighbours is almost as old as I am. <laughs> right. Okay. So if a show can still be making people talk to each other and have social discussions – then, you know, they're hitting the right buttons. Yeah. Just, you know. But, yeah, there's a, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with giving them a heads up saying, hey, yeah. I wish you'd, you know. They just need to know that as as long as they're around, I'm always going to be here shouting at them to do better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, now, so the fun stuff. What do you reckon? This D, this ethereal white-dressed lady, what do you reckon? What do I reckon? Look, I desperately hope that it's the real D. And I don't know how I would tell that story given the Andrea story. Like, I don't know how I'd... It's going to be so tough for them to weave that in now. Yeah. I mean, the most the most logical sequel, um, as was quoted in the article that I read, to the story is one that I think Eve Morey sort of alluded to in one of her interviews a couple of weeks ago, which is, you know, that Andrea turns up pregnant with Toadie's baby from that one-night stand uh, okay. and throws the spanner into the work of the newly reconciled Toadie and Sonia. Right. Like that would be, if, if it's Andrea, that seems to be the logical story point that you have. Anytime there's a one-night stand on a soap, you can guarantee nine months someone's going to rock up with a baby. <laughs> yeah. It's just, you know. It's 101. It's 101. My, I'm kind of torn between there's a whisper about, well, maybe it's Andrea. She's had, since that one-night stand they had, she's kind of almost been triggered back to remember her true self 
and she's come back going, oh, whoa, hey, this was me all along and I did some bad stuff and I'm here to come. Oh, that's interesting. So she was D all along. Yeah, but then. Thought she wasn't, but now she is. Yeah, and really did think she was scamming them all and then it, she woke up from whatever trance she was in. That's interesting. I like that. I think that would help a lot. Or the, I think another way to do it is, well, I guess she's a original D and had nothing to do with Andrea and she's been living in a shack in Werribee this whole time and <laughs> and maybe she saw the papers. She saw Tim Collins's expose on Andrea Summers and went, hang on a minute. Yeah. I look a bit like her. I oh, know I, I I I like I like the suggestion number one. I think that's a good one. Yeah. I hope that's the way it plays out. Yeah, I'm a little bit drained, but may, maybe because I talk about it so much. Maybe I need to have like a month off and then give myself a breather. So when they do bring her back again. Yeah. I won't be over it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't be holding my breath to see her anytime soon on air. I feel like from what I can gather from the various interviews I've read, that was kind of just like a little bit of a bit of an Easter egg or a bit of a hint for the audience. Okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, towards the season finale um, or, you know, somewhere in that general vicinity that perhaps yeah. the next phase of the story begins. And at this point, I'm kind of more invested in unknown person. What's his deal? What's his deal? Who is he? <laughs> well, this is the gift that keeps on giving. It is the gift. Yes, it is. And Dear look, Bliss. that's also a very clever, a very clever win because if you can bring an actress back after, when did she die? Was it? Oh, God. it was at least seven or eight years ago, I think. It was longer, I think. Was it? Oh, oh wait, it was a thirteen years ago. Sorry, yeah, thirteen years. Yeah, ago. yeah, yeah. So a long time ago. Um, yeah, to still be generating this much excitement and having people like us sitting and talking about, you know, what could it possibly be, um, regardless of whichever way they go, they've, they've put off a huge publicity curve. Yeah. It's been very clever. And some people have made the argument to me, Dee was never this interesting back in the day, so, <laughs> hey, you should just enjoy it. What do they say? That sometimes after death um, people become much more relevant than they were in life or something? So yes. maybe Dee became a bit more eulogised in, yeah. And I'll talk about more about that Russell Brennan style in the next Neighbours. And so, Dan, what are you working on now? What's Should we watch watch our screens for something? Uh, I have just finished um, some work up in Brisbane on a new show for ABC Australia, which is a co-production with ABC International called Harrow, and that's a new crime drama which will be coming to your screens soon they're shooting at the moment and they're shooting in brisbane they're shooting in brisbane yeah. oh, that's great well i don't see yeah. a lot of brisbane on tv no so i was just i was just up there for the startup um and the team have been working furiously over the last few months to bring it all to life but um yeah so that's shooting at the moment and i'm just doing a bit of freelance work at the moment and gonna take a little holiday overseas because why not excellent well, thank you very much for hashing that out with me. People can tweet to you at Dan M. Bennett because you're – I'm sure people will have a thousand questions about behind-the-scenes goings-on and processes. Yes, look forward to the tweets, very much so. And people can check our website out, neighbourspod.com, and drop us an email. We've had some lovely emails lately about – because with these cancer storylines and sexuality storylines, like people have just been sending some really nice thoughts. So – and – nuanced opinion so that's really good yeah right that's fantastic thanks for having a chat thank you for having me anytime and we'll chat to you on the next neighbors i'm vaya and thanks dan bye <laughs>